Let's get ready to roll. Lead Like a Lady features amazing women at the top of their game who know what it's like to be the only woman in the room. They're here to share their stories, inspire greatness, and provide advice to all the women coming up behind them. Now, here's your host, Army veteran and retired FBI assistant special agent in charge, Gina L. Osborne. Welcome to Lead Like a Lady. I'm your host, Gina L. Osborne, and on today's show, our guest is construction maven, Cheryl Osborne of Casco Contractors. We'll get to know Cheryl by hearing her journey to the top and talk about everything from working through the fear of failure, the power of delegation, mentorship, and how Cheryl gives back. Although Cheryl and I share the same last name, and we spell it the same way, we aren't related. But we have a lot in common. We both grew up in Orange County, California. We're both girly girls. Both of our fathers thought we were going to be boys when we were born. And we both took roads less traveled in male-dominated work environments to follow our dreams. So sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired. Welcome to the show, Cheryl. Thank you, Gina. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so glad to have you. You're the president and founder of Casco Contractors. So tell us a little bit about your company. Sure. My company is Casco Contractors. Uh, we're a tenant improvement contractor, and we do mostly work in Southern California for landlords or tenants that basically want to redo their space. A lot of it is lease-based deals. I've got 72 employees in 2019. We did $65 million in volume. Uh, we were slated to do 75 in 2020, but COVID wasn't kind to commercial real estate. But I'm really proud that I was able to keep the company together and really not have any layoffs and keep everybody working throughout 2020. I'm looking at a really, really exciting 2021. But yeah, I mean, I, I love I love what I do. I love building commercial office space. I love to see the product of all of the efforts. And it goes by a little quicker than some of your traditional ground up construction that can take two years to to see the end product. I love being involved in what people do. So I always say we don't cure cancer but we will build a space where we will enable you to cure cancer because that space is so well-suited for what you do. And I've gotten the opportunity to learn so much about different kinds of businesses from the government to scientists, to medical device makers, to lawyers, to people that do sound studios. I mean, it's just so exciting to see what people do and we get to touch all of it. So tell me, where did your passion for construction come from? I thought I wanted to be an interior designer when I was uh, a very young child, because that's what women do, right? And I was in interior design school, and I just could not get past the fact that I just wanted to build things. I didn't want to design them. So about my senior year, I transferred to construction management at Cal State Long Beach and really found my home. I found all of my passions. It was me and 350 guys. And I proceeded to get a degree in construction management over the course of about two and a half years. Gosh, one out of 350. What was that like? Uh, well, there was a lot of offers for dates. I didn't date anybody, but <laughs> there was a lot of opportunities. 
you know, it was it was great. I think that I've always been a girl that's not afraid to be around men or or guys. And so it was it was pretty easy, actually. What struggles did you face when you were first starting out? I think that it's unfortunate and it's gotten a lot better, but I think there's always a predetermined judgment about women in the construction industry and men sort of feel like they don't, that women don't know what they're doing automatically, even before you open your mouth. And I think that, that overcoming that can be, it can be a little bit tough on your pride, honestly, but you know, it's one of those things that that I would have to have to prove myself way more than my male colleagues would. And that was always proven to be frustrating. You know, I think people judge, you know, how you look as well. And so I'm all about being a woman. And so I wear pencil skirts and pumps to the job site. Sometimes that's a, an indication to certain people that I don't know what I'm doing, but you just gotta, you just gotta charge forward and you just gotta explain to people exactly, you know, what you know and how you can fix their problems. As you were coming up, what part of that became an obstacle for you internally? And at what point was it not an obstacle at all? I think being a woman as a leader, some of the obstacles can be that we care a little bit too much or or more so than maybe our male counterparts. So owning a business and having employees, you know, I care deeply about all of them. And, you know, I, I don't want to say that that's an obstacle, but I think that it's been something that is it definitely different than being a man. I, I do care very deeply. I'm very passionate about my people and those and, and my clients. I think that I, I think a lot of it has to do with having to prove the experience to a lot of people just because I'm a woman. I mean, I see guys walk in that have far less experience than I do, and they immediately are looked upon by the peers that they know what they're doing and I have to prove it constantly. Even now when you're the CEO of your company? It's gotten a lot better. I mean, I'm kind of, you know, I've been doing this. I've been, I have owned the company for 20 years. I've been doing it for 25 years. So I think that I've garnered the respect of most of the people that I know in my industry. It's the people that maybe are on the outside that don't necessarily know me or who I am. But yeah, no, I think that I've definitely, I've definitely paid my dues and I've definitely, I hope, earned their respect. Yeah. And I think somewhere along the line, you just stop caring. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether you're earning people's respect, you're going to do your job regardless. Right, right. And I mean, it, it's all about being really good at what you do and being passionate about what you do. And I think that kind of shines through. When I went into the Army in 1987, I think women made up fewer than 10% of all of the soldiers in the Army. And because of that, I remember putting so much pressure on myself that I had to be perfect or else I wasn't going to be taken seriously or else I was going to have a bad reputation or else whatever. What is your philosophy when it comes to having to be perfect or being afraid to fail? You know, I think that so many people, uh, women and men, so this is not, you know, are afraid to fail. And I think that when you insulate yourself against taking risks or being afraid to fail, then you kind of isolate yourself. And so one of my, I think, I think I was born with it. Um, I'm not sure that my parents thought it was such a great quality when I was young because I got into a lot of messes and I got hurt a lot, but not being afraid to fail 
to an extent, obviously, but not being afraid to fail is really important. And, you know, I think that women are a little more cautious about failure and taking risk and capitalization. I know that like I grew my business very organically, never asked for outside cash. And I see men doing the same thing that I do. And they're not afraid to go out there and get, you know, cash from banks, investors, things like that. They sort of go a little bit more rogue. And I think it's great to be cautious. Don't get me wrong. I think there's a fine line, but risk taking and not being afraid to fail, I think is a huge part of success because you just pick yourself up, you dust yourself off and you move on to the next thing. It's not as failing is not as bad as people think I actually paved my way to success with millions of failures. So what was your biggest failure? It's interesting that you asked me that question because my very first project that I got when I owned my own company, um, you know, it took a little bit longer for me. I started the company and a couple months went by and I remember thinking like, why don't I have a project? So I get my first project and everything goes what I thought perfectly. We turn over on time, clients happy or perceivably happy. And we're doing this, this thing that we do at the end of a project. It's called a punch walk and you walk through and you look for things. And, and honestly, like I was super proud of myself. I was patting myself on the back. There was really nothing wrong with the project. And the CEO of the company that we built the space for said, Cheryl, come here. I need to talk to you. And I was like, oh, he's going to tell me how happy he is and how great it is. And he did not. So he sat at his desk. He put a pencil down on his desk and he said, what am I supposed to do about this? And he let go of it. And it rolled at the speed of what I thought was a small freight train all the way off his desk and onto the ground. And he said, you built my space on an unlevel floor. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like I didn't even think about that. And he goes, so what are you going to do about it? Because literally the building itself was sinking. And that obviously was not my fault. But the fact that I didn't pick up on it or pay attention to that or, you know, kind of level the floor while it was, while the construction was happening, they kind of looked at me like, this is your, this is your problem to fix. And so I got a quote to fix it, which meant we had to level the floor. So I had to pull up all the carpet and all the base and basically level the floor and put it all back down. And they had already moved in all their furniture and it was going to be about $60,000. And this was my very first project. And I literally remember thinking, why don't I just pack it in? Like, this is not for me. I really messed this up. I think I want to pack it in. But for some reason, I think it was that ignorance and persistence. I sucked it up. I fixed it for him. And then like this light bulb went off in my head. I just built a space in a building that's sinking. Let me just go ask the landlord, how many other spaces do they have that maybe aren't level? And over the course of the next year, uh, and this was during 9-11, so it was really tough to get work at that point, I did half a million dollars worth of floor leveling for this particular client because I said, hey, I'm an expert. I just did this for you know your tenant and I can do it for anybody that needs it. And so I think it's like taking a deep breath and looking at the big picture and seeing the opportunity that comes out of the failure. I love that story. Talk about making lemonade out of lemons. Uh, And that was such a huge, expensive mistake. And yet you were able to turn it around and capitalize on it. So bravo. As you were starting out, 
What was the biggest mind shift that you had to make in order to break through to find success? I think I had, I, I felt like in the beginning I had so much to offer and I found that it was so hard to prove to people that I could solve their problems. I could give them a great space. I could bring it in, you know, on time and under budget. Originally, when I first got my first client, I actually had to make them an offer so that they would go uh, with me as a, you know, kind of young female, new contractor. I had to promise that I would pay their tenants rent if I was late on the schedule. And that was something that, that, yeah, that particular client was like, okay, really, you're going to pay their rent if you're late. And I said, yes. And so I never had to do that, which was, which was exciting, but that was kind of how I got my foot in the door to say, Hey, take me seriously. After that, I think it became a performance marketing thing. And so once that foot was in the door with sort of a, a strange proposal that no one had ever proposed before, I think that the performance marketing took over and they saw that I was good. You know, I had good people. I was good at problem solving and I was good at getting it done. Did you ever have doubts? Did you ever think that all your hard work and determination weren't going to pay off? Oh, I think that I have doubts every day still to this day. We all do. I mean, sometimes I don't <laughs> even consider, yeah, right? I, sometimes I don't even consider myself successful and people laugh at me and I'm like, well, I don't know, you know, I could do better. Or I, yeah, I have doubts constantly about all kinds of things. And how do you navigate those doubts or how do you get through them? Because so many times when we start having doubts, that's when the obstacle comes up and then we're stuck. So how do you get through that? I think that uh, by nature, I tend to be a really positive thinker. And so I have doubts, but then I start to kind of do my pros and cons list and kind of look at it from an optimistic place. I also think that the the fact that I'm very engaging with people that, you know, sometimes those doubts can be alleviated by just having conversations, you know, and not holding anything back and being humble about the fact that you are maybe questioning yourself or, or the situation. And then I think sometimes those doubts just get resolved. What do you consider your greatest strength? I think my greatest strength is collaboration. I, I think I'm a very good listener. I try to be a very good listener and I try to objectively look at all of the facets of a problem. And so I always tell people like, you know, tell me like I'm a preschooler, tell me what's going on. Like I'm a preschooler and I'm not afraid to say that because, you know, I want to hear everything before I make decisions or before I start directing people to do things. I definitely think that women are very detail oriented and I tend to be extremely detail oriented about certain things. And I think that kind of shines through in an industry like construction because people forget that construction is all about the details. So it, it really behooves the, it, it behooves me as a woman and it's, it's good for me being able to do what I do because I'm very detail oriented and very collaborative. So did you always see it in your head that you're going to be successful or was it a one day at a time thing? I mean, what you've been doing this for so long and you continue to be wildly successful at it. What does success look like to you? 
You know, I honestly never thought I would own a business or be successful. It was never part of my grand plan. Um, I sort of was a day by day girl. I think I have this bracelet that I made and this sort of uh, term that I coined, uh, ignorance and persistence. I think that there's a great thing about being just a little bit ignorant, possibly like, you know, ignorant about, can I do this? Or is this real? Or is this a possibility? You know, that that's where ignorance, I think, comes into play. Because if if I knew all the things that I would have had to face, I probably maybe wouldn't have chosen to do this. I think, you know, the ignorance piece can be good. And then persistence. I just literally woke up every morning and was persistent about what I wanted and how I wanted to really, you know, change the industry. I mean, when I got into the industry, it was, I call it the dirty jeans mentality. It was full of men and they had dirty jeans with tape measures on their sides and they were kind of gruff and not very into customer service and really didn't look at, they, they more looked at what they were building versus what the client or the customer was looking for. And I think that I was able to sort of change that paradigm and say, hey, you know, I'm here as a team player. I'm, you know, listening. I'm going to help. And I think that's where some of my feminine qualities actually came out. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because sometimes when women get into male-dominated fields, they believe they have to act like a man or dress like a man or talk like a man in order to be successful or in order to be accepted in the field. So it sounds to me like that is something that you never subscribe to. No, I have always been authentic to myself. And I always say like, I grew up, you know, racing dirt bikes and, you know, rebuilding um, engine blocks and all these things that my father thought were great. But I was always worried about breaking a nail because my mom kind of taught me that feminine side, you know, with makeup and all that. So I was always authentic to the fact that I liked um, from a personality standpoint or, or from an um, internal standpoint, I really liked things that may be considered more male, but I always showed up in my female self, which is fully made up in a pencil skirt and pumps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm with you, sister. When I was in the army, my first sergeant used to chase me down for wearing red lipstick with my battle dress uniform. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you have to be authentic to yourself. So if you're a girly girl, you know, maybe you have to tone it down a bit, but not necessarily to the point where it's not authentic. Right. Because when you start being inauthentic, then the people you're leading will know immediately. Absolutely. I show up to job meetings and I'm a hugger. So I hug clients, I hug men. And that's like, it takes some sort of a back sometimes they're like, whoa, 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 this is a construction meeting. And I'm like, well, I'm a hugger. So that's what I do. If you don't like, you know, tell me if you don't like it and I'll back off. But uh, most people, most people don't refuse a hug except for during COVID. But, you know, before that, most people don't refuse a hug. Yep. No, I'm the same way. I'm definitely a hugger. So what type of qualities are the most important when you're an entrepreneur and you want to start a new business? I mean, what qualities did you have that were so important that helped you with your business? I think being an entrepreneur, you know, I, I think a lot about this because entrepreneur is all obviously the beginning stage. So it started with that ignorance and persistence. But what happens is, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you're sort of concentrically all about you and what you can do. And so 
I had to do a lot of research about, um, there's a great book called The E-Myth Revisited. And I read that very early on when I owned the company. And it talks about process and delegating and letting go and having strategies. Because as an entrepreneur, you kind of sometimes fly by the seat of your pants and you sort of pivot to wherever, you know, squirrel, squirrel. And I think that entrepreneurs are always great at starting things. But what you need to really be successful owning a company is to have an infrastructure that can actually see them through. Right. So as an entrepreneur who has sustained your business for the last 20 years, if you could give yourself advice when you were just starting out, what would that advice be? Oh, I think about this all the time. Um, Hire super good people in the beginning and sell them on your strategy because really good people, you know, want to get behind a great strategy. And I don't know that I was really great about letting everyone that I was trying to, you know, recruit um, into my strategy. So I would just start off with hiring the very best people. Um, I think secondly, I, you know, I've done a lot of, of secondary education. I went to construction school. I did not go to business school. So I have had to augment um, my education considerably over the last 20 years. I didn't know how to read a balance sheet. I didn't know how to, you know, do an org chart or what what people would say, you know, what's your five-year strategy? I mean, I would look like a deer in the headlights. So just really taking advantage of all the, the ancillary education that you can get, I think is, is big because there's a lot to learn, you know, and I was not, I was not a business major. So that was kind of uh, tough. And then I think thirdly, learning to delegate is so huge and so hard for people that would define themselves as I do sometimes as kind of a control freak. Delegating is the way that businesses grow and it's the way that people grow. And I missed that boat for the first probably 10 years of, of owning the company and it got a little overwhelming. Um, and that's one of the quotes in the book, the E-Myth Revisited. It's like, in order to succeed, first you have to let go. And letting go of things was was very difficult for me. I would let go a lot sooner if I could look back. Why do you think it's so hard for women to delegate? You know, I, I've done a lot of research on men and women's brains because there's this doctor, Dr. Eamon, and it helped me make sense of working with so many men. But you know, men have brains that are kind of just to simplify it. They're kind of like freeways. Their their neuropathways are like freeways, and women's are like a lot of streets. So we sometimes, as a gender, get caught up in a lot of the detail where the men are sort of like on the big picture and on that freeway. I think that understanding that you know, understanding first of all who you are. I knew I was somebody that was that got caught up in a lot of the detail, and so. I think that that was probably not so great, but I think that there's a piece of that that can be a a really important part of being a good leader. Understanding how much detail is really what what you need to, you know, worry about or stress about is important. I think that women are nurturers as well. So we not only, you know, when I go to male business meetings, 
or male. I have a couple of peer advisory groups. One's all female and one's all male. The female one is much more about who we are as people, as mothers, how we're nurturing, how we're caring for our elderly parents and how that's stressful running a business. Whereas men, it's all about, you know, hunt and kill and, you know, what, what are you doing to grow your business and all that. So I think that having a mix of both has been great for me because I get to see both sides. And I think mixing them in the appropriate amount is, is really sometimes a, a great life skill. I think a lot of women feel that if they delegate their responsibilities, that they appear to others, because we are always thinking about what other people think about us, that we're not good at our job for whatever reason it is. I'm a huge delegator. Um, I believe it develops the leaders that are coming up behind me when I when I would delegate the work. But I think that's a common problem with women is they just feel that if they're in a male-dominated environment and they start handing out their work, then they're giving away part of their power. Right. I think well, we're all fighting so hard sometimes for our power and delegation, you know, by definition is giving some of it away. And I think it's important to understand that we can still be powerful when we delegate. I also learned through delegation that my way is not always the 100% perfect way to do it as much as I thought it might've been. Having other people sort of put their own spin on things and the way that they execute something that you delegate, I think is really, it's really eye-opening because a lot of times they'll do it better than you would have especially if you got you know, bogged down by all of the other crap that you're trying to deal with, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes a lot of times delegating, they do it much better. So I think it's just being, being conscious of it. Right. And I think when you delegate and let someone do it the way they would do it, as opposed to telling them how to do it, you're allowing them to be that much more creative. You're allowing them to own whatever it is that you're delegating to them. And like you said, it comes out better because the person has that gratification of doing it how they wanted to do it versus doing it how I wanted them to do it. Yeah, I think you said it perfectly, ownership. Because when you don't delegate, everyone's afraid to do it how Cheryl wouldn't, you know, they're they're so afraid, like, how is Cheryl want it done? It, It becomes really strangling to people and letting them have their ownership on things, as long as you're moving that train in the right direction, I I think it's fine. And I really had to learn that, honestly. It sounds to me like you're a collaborative leader. Is that how you would describe yourself? Yeah, I I hope they would describe me as that, but (laughs) I would definitely describe myself as that. Yeah, I really think that I am so happy now having so many people that I can rely on that, that do have great skill sets that I didn't have before. I mean, I was kind of alone for a long time, honestly, by my own fault. Whenever there's a problem, we meet as a team. I have uh, five directors, two of them are C-level and we meet weekly and we just throw things up against the wall and everybody kind of weighs in. And, you know, it's great to get everyone's perspective. It's really great to solve problems in ways that you maybe didn't see before. So yeah, I think collaboration is key. We actually do this program that IBM put out, design thinking. I learned design thinking through one of my peer advisory groups, and we actually had the pleasure of going to IBM 
It's something that IBM uh, designed because their engineers were so engineering minded. They stopped to think about, you know, the beauty of things or the function of things. And so IBM developed and they coined the term design thinking. And you basically get a bunch of people in a room. You, you have like different categories of what you want their opinions on and you fill out post-it notes and you just spray post-it notes all over the wall. And then you kind of see what you come up with. And I think it's a super effective way to solve problems, to show good leadership, to make people feel like they're included in decision making. I love it. You're right. When people have ownership in their work and they feel like they're being heard, performance increases, morale increases, everyone feels appreciated. Yeah, I was actually surprised and as a woman really tuned into the fact that people were, when they got invited to these, you know, I, I would say like a, a clerical person, like an accounting person that was maybe like, you know, on their way up or our receptionist or somebody in the field that was maybe, you know, working towards moving up the ladder. When they got included and their opinion was heard, it was magical. And I really picked up on that early. And I think that's something that women do. You know, they see those nuances maybe a little quicker than men. I don't, I'm not trying to put men down at all. I've never been a male basher ever, ever, ever. I think that's really counterintuitive to working with men, but I do like to focus on some of the strengths that women have. And I think one of them is really being in tune with people's emotions and gosh, it's amazing to see these people contribute and they're like, oh, they want to hear what I'm saying. They value my opinion. And I think that's really important. You mentioned a couple of times a peer advisory group. What does that do for you? Yeah. So really early on, I got, I think my company was only doing a couple million dollars a year in revenue. And I was mailed this, this thing called WPO. It's called Women's Presidents Organization. And they were looking for women that were presidents of their own company or CEOs of companies. And I just kind of decided to show up to one of their conventions. And I was blown away by the quality of the women that were there and blown away by the content of the, um, the, the actual convention itself, the speakers and everything. And it was, it was very geared towards the fact that women that run companies do face different challenges, sometimes internal, sometimes external, then maybe their male counterparts and they didn't have anywhere to voice that, right? Because they didn't want to look weak or or not male-like. And so I joined that group two years, so about 18 years ago, and I've been a member ever since, and it's been fabulous. So it's only women. It's very much geared towards um some of the challenges that we face, but it's also challenges that anyone would face. So it's not, it's not a big, you know, kumbaya sing song thing. I mean, it's very, these women are tough and they are successful. I mean, a couple of the women in the group have billion dollar companies. And so what we can learn from them as leaders and how they grew their company and also feel like we have a safe place to talk about some of the things that maybe we wouldn't talk about in a table full of men. I think it's a great idea to build that sort of community around yourself. Yeah, it's fabulous. It's called Women's Presidents Organization. There's there's a lot of organizations like that. There's one that is golf centric. It's like women on course. 
there are all kinds of just purely targeted female peer advisory groups that I would say absolutely reach out to. And there are male and co-gender ones as well. So I don't think you should just limit yourself to looking for that, but there are so, and there's so many resources and women are so incredibly loyal and helpful to each other. I think we do sometimes face different challenges, especially, you know, when I was growing the company, I was, you know, a working mom and really, you know, as much as I wish that it were 50, 50, and I think it has gotten a lot better, you know, as the years go on, but you know, women were still taxed with 80% of the housework, 80% of the child rearing throughout the years. That was, that was my particular situation. And those can be stressful on someone who's trying to grow a business. And it's nice to have people to talk to about ideas and advice about, you know, do you really need to spend your time doing laundry or could you hire someone to do it? I mean, it seems really simple, but sometimes we get clouded like, oh, I have to do all this kind of stuff well, hey, what if you just outsourced that and then really focused on growing your business or, or getting educated? You know, how, how much better could you be? How much more could you accomplish? While you were coming up, did you have a mentor, a female mentor? So it started with a male mentor, which I think is fabulous. I had a, a man who really sought me out very early in my career before I started my business uh, his name was Bob Fortney, fabulous man. He was six foot 10, 330 pounds, just this really lovely, lumbering, huge man with a gigantic heart. And he happened to have four daughters. And my resume had come across his desk. Um, and he had waited about a year until he was ready. And he called me and just kept calling me and calling me. And this was before cell phones. So he had to call me on my home phone. And he just kept saying, Cheryl, I want you to come in. I want you to come in. So I finally acquiesced and he basically sat me down and he said, I have four daughters and I have not one single female project manager, project manager or executive on the second floor. And I, and I wonder to myself every night when I go to bed, what kind of message am I sending to my daughters? And so he basically hired me. He had no idea if I was going to be good or not. I was just the first woman. This was in Cleveland, Ohio. So they were a little bit behind the times. I want to say it was like 1994. And so he literally hired me on the spot. And I ended up being very successful at his company, almost surprisingly so to a lot of people. But he gave me that chance and he really mentored me along the way. And he really accepted the fact that I was a woman because that's kind of the whole point of why he hired me. And he was a fabulous, fabulous mentor. Over the years, I've had other types of mentors and I've actually tried to be a mentor for people, but I get mentoring out of almost every woman that I meet because they all have something to say. And I just suggest to people, listen, what they, we were talking the other day about uh, Sandra Hutchins, the sheriff of Orange County, uh, God rest her soul. And I would just meet her at a board meeting or something. And I would just listen because she had so much wisdom to impart. And I think we need to just listen to these really successful women when we can. You don't necessarily have to have a setup mentor mentee situation. 
Well, you are an amazing role model because you are involved in Girls Inc. and as well as the Laura's House. I mean, how is giving back to the community? How does that serve you? Wow, you just hit one of my super big passion points. I think it's so important that everyone gives back to their community. I chose to kind of target my efforts on basically girls and STEM because I think it's really important at a very young age to teach women that they are good at science, technology, engineering, and math. There, there's no proven scientific uh, research that women are less good at critical thinking in math and science. It's just that sometimes they're told that at a very young age. And I think it's really important. We've done a good job over the years to eradicate that. I don't think that we are as far as we can go. But, you know, back in, I don't know if anybody remembers, in 1974, Mattel put out a Barbie. And when you squeezed her stomach, she said, math is hard. Mm. And they they took it off the shelf after about a year. I'm still trying to get my hands on one, like through <laughs> eBay or whatever, because I would love to have one just as like a, you know, a little trophy for how far women have come. I, I love giving back to girls at a very young age. Laura's house is a place for women and children who are victims of domestic abuse. And I think, you know, we're trying to eradicate the concept of domestic abuse. And I think it starts at that girl level, empowering these girls that turn into women, you know, so that they don't, they don't look at that as their only option. So they kind of tie together for me for a very long time. I sort of did this on my own where I tirelessly you know, worked and fought for them. And then I had this epiphany one day, like, why am I not involving my company in this? Why am I trying to do this all on my own? So about five or six years ago, I really reached out to the company and said, I want the company to be involved in these things. And I want you guys to start showing up. And I want to say that our results quintupled because of that. And we actually, as a company, my company, Casco, was awarded the most influential uh, young company in charitable community events uh, in 2019. And that was probably my most proudest moment because it wasn't about me. It was about what, what the company did once I opened that door for them. So I think it's really important for women, especially you know women in leadership positions or, or management positions, to understand how how much ground you can cover by involving people in your organization in these charitable in the charitable community. And you never know how one interaction can impact a person for the rest of their life, can impact a child for the rest of their life. So for them to see you out there doing this, I mean you're teaching them this is what you can do. Yeah, just telling one young girl that she's really good at math or that she's really smart or she could do anything she wants. I do a lot of speaking for young girls because I think you can get them like right about fourth grade, fourth and fifth grade. They are like sponges that are ready and open to hearing all of that. And I mean, just something, I don't know if it's things that I say or things, quotes that other women say, like they can really turn their entire lives in a different direction just, just by giving them power. I agree. I agree. For these girls coming up behind you, for the women who are coming up behind you, what advice do you have for them? 
Oh my gosh. Be smart, show up, work hard, obviously, because I think those are really important, especially in our fight for equality. I've always been the proponent of I'm not the I'm not here because I'm a girl. I'm here because I'm the best one for the job. So I think it's really important that women be smart, work hard, but stay authentic. Like we talked about earlier, stay authentic to yourselves and really use all of your skill sets to really engage and learn. What I've noticed is that men just traditionally or genetically, I don't know the answer, are more fraternal and they tend to get in groups a little bit easier than you know, and, and for a woman, it's sometimes it's hard to break into those groups in these male dominated industries. But honestly, the men are open to having you there. They just sometimes don't reach out. So you have to be the one that reaches out and inserts yourself into those groups. I think it's really important for women not to be afraid of that, you know, afraid of rejection. What do you say to those women who are afraid? How do they get over that fear to just show up, like you said, and include themselves in the group. Because I've seen that working in my male-dominated field, that you know, all you have to do is show up and ask, and, and they're not going to turn you away. For women who are reluctant to reach out and, and take that step, what do you recommend? I mean, I was always a person that was afraid to make that first move, right? But it starts really small, I think. It starts with you not being afraid to say, hey, can I get a cup of coffee with you? Can we have lunch? Can we go out for a drink or something? And and just kind of pick their brain. And everybody, male and female oriented, like they like to talk about themselves, right? So get people engaged at, by asking them questions. And I think that when you start to do that and you kind of keep that as your sort of MO, and you're constantly asking questions and asking people how, you know, how they do things or how they would solve this particular problem, it becomes easier. And I think you get, you're less intimidated by the concept by asking questions and listening. People want to help. If you ask someone for help, they want to help. Anytime anyone has ever reached out to me, even cold called me asking for me to mentor them in some way, I, I love doing that. Definitely don't be afraid to ask. And if anybody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? I always tell people they can email me directly. It's Cheryl at cascocontractors.com. I love when people reach out to me directly. Um, I try to, you know, like you said, I love people that reach out for questions or help or advice or just telling me what they're doing. My website is www.cascocontractors.com. There's a lot of information on that. It kind of highlights our construction side and our design side. I have a, a full design team as well on staff. So yeah, reach out. Well, Cheryl, thank you so much for being on the show. You're such a great role model and you serve your community so well. It's, it's been a pleasure getting to know you. Well, Gina, hearing that from you is such a pleasure because you are a phenomenal, phenomenal person and what you've done in your career is amazing. So I appreciate hearing that from you. I truly value you as a listener and would love to show my appreciation. Visit me at GinaLOsborne.com and I will send you a free ebook called Five Strategies to Navigate a Male-Dominated Workplace.
Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and are feeling inspired, please subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite listening platform. Lead Like a Lady with Gina L. Osborne is produced and edited by Lisa Osborne. Theme music is Leading Lady by retired IRS criminal investigation attache Clarissa Balmaceda featuring Alex Castillo. Find us on social media through GinaLOsborne.com slash Lead Like a Lady. And don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Lead Like a Lady with Gina L. Osborne wherever you get your podcasts.